let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolayo. Hello and thanks for listening. If you are asking yourself what UB Secure is doing nowadays, well, today we'll know more about that. Some insights in-house from UB Secure House. And for that, we will have UB Secure CEO Simon Booth to talk about what are the challenges that our customers have and how with our innovations are having solutions for these challenges. As group CEO, Simon Booth is responsible for planning, communicating, and delivering UB Secure's overall vision and corporate strategy to enable the true potential of digital business through modern identity management solutions. Prior to joining UB Secure, Simon was a CTO at GMO Global Sign, a leading global certification authority where he led the technical and strategic growth of the company. Simon has also held executive positions at Quantwave Capital, where he led the venture building practice, Telecom and Enterprise Mobile Security Mobile Software Company, Artillium PLC, the Mobile Virtual Network Enabler, and Flying Spark, a mobile applications company. Simon graduated with a Bachelor of Engineering in Electronic Engineering from Southampton University. He holds multiple patents in the field of mobile internet software systems design. Hello, Simon. Hi, Oscar. Great to be here. Thank you. Great talking with you, Simon. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure talking now with, um, with CEO of Secure now that we are doing this podcast. So, well, let's get started, Simon. Let's talk about digital identity. Mm-hmm. And it seems that you spent um, many years in the mobile business from, I know, from a bio. So when it happened and how it happened that you came into this uh, field of digital identity? Sure. So if we step right back, when you look in the broader sense, digital identity is everything that you do typically if you're interacting with software systems doesn't matter what they are you have an identity to make that interaction work um, what we look at now is kind of an entity and access management as a particular subset of that digital identity but i would say that since the start of my career uh, i originally started in battlefield communications after graduating from university that was all about identity of units on a battlefield through to the telco work the mobile applications work you have to understand the identity of the users on the platform the devices Um, it's always been there at GMO Global Sign, it was all about crypto identity, mm-hmm. so digital certificates, organizational verification there from a, um, an understanding point of view. And then through to UbiSecure, where we're very much focused on um, identity and access management, uh, specifically on users and organizations and understanding how those identities can enable frictionless business, um, give business savings and benefits. Mm-hmm. So so true. Yeah. So you mentioned Battlefield uh, Mobile Network um virtual network operators and mobile mobile software. So it's everywhere digital identity is. Yeah, absolutely. You can't escape from digital identity. Mm-hmm. And that's that's been true for 30, 40, 50 years now. Since we've had computing devices, mm, yes. since we've had electronically enabled, software-enabled transactions, mm. we've had digital identity. It's It's been, uh, originally it wasn't really considered, it wasn't at the forefront mm. of the design and of the, the, the thought processes, and we saw some of the security issues from that previously. We're still seeing some of those today in IoT examples, you know, right now where people are focusing on the, the feature functionality of what they're delivering rather than the broader architecture. We're still seeing some of those security issues. Digital identity 
is a core part of stopping that. You can't have security without identity. You can't secure a battlefield communication. You can't secure your bank transaction. You can't log into a website securely without identity. And it doesn't matter if it's your identity or Facebook's identity mm. as an organization. One of those needs to be securely known to have a, or well known, well understood, to have a secure transaction. Yes, identity is, uh, is being everywhere since we are connected, let's say, since the internet uh, took off. So what are today, in your, on your opinion, what are today the, the biggest challenges in digital identity? Yeah, so taking a Ubisecure perspective on that, mm. I mean, the, there are many challenges and you can look at this from different angles in a different way. And kind of uh, thinking about this, th th there are two key ones that I'd bring forward right now. So first of all, a very big challenge that we see right now from an IAM perspective, from a usable identity perspective, is regional fragmentation. So that doesn't matter if we're looking cross-border, so differences between, uh, well, let's take a great example. We're sitting here in Finland right now. Mm -hmm. Finland has a very advanced digital economy. Bank ID is prevalent. You can, you can access down to a social security number and have highly assured identities through that social security number. And it's the norm. It's standard. People here are used to logging on, using their bank ID to do that. You get a great understanding of who you're transacting with, which means you can take a lot of those transactions online very securely and bring down the risk of doing that. Very straightforward. I live in the UK. Mm -hmm. In the UK, we have very little digital identity. As a nation, we kind of don't like the idea of a national identity. We've had several votes, several discussions. Okay. We've never got to a national identity. So I see that contrast firsthand where UK, there is no consistent prevalent digital identity that you can use to secure transactions. Everything is separate, is different. So there's lots of pools of small identities there mm -hmm. on a case-by-case -case basis compared to, to Finland. People are used to using one identity, their bank ID, maybe the national ID. National IDs always tend to be a bit clunky, a bit card-based, hardware-based, mm -hmm. but bank IDs work really well. So th those differences, that's a big challenge when you look cross-border, but also in-country, having that, that separation. So again, UK is a great example. As I mentioned, there's lots of small pools of different sets of identity, and that mm -hmm. then becomes a large identity management issue for the end user. So mm -hmm. if I think about all of the sites that I visit generally. How many sites have you got a different username and password for? Maybe the username is always your email address, so maybe that's consistent, mm -hmm. but okay. hopefully your password is always different. Okay, <laughs> So, you know, we, we, should be in a, we, we should be in a time now where we're all using different passwords for different sites, but how many have you got? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100? Ooh. Many, yes. yeah? So for each site, and there's this disparate, disparate collections. If you look at where digital identity is available and possible at a, a consistent national level, like Bank ID, you don't need that disparate set of identities. You can just use that one, and that simplifies things a lot. So there's a, a simplification there, but the challenge is that that variance as we look you know, across Europe, across the globally, the different regional variance in, in what's available as a consistent digital identity. So that's, that's one key challenge that we're, you know, from a Ubisoft point of view, we embrace that challenge. We, we enable those small pools to be collated together. We can broker mm. between them. Um, we can provide access in, in Finland or other countries to that strong bank ID, national ID. But that's still a challenge. Developers, when they're building their platforms, how do they solve that? How do they get access to that? How do they make that work efficiently? So that's you know, a, typical, a typical case of, of, one, of the, one of the challenges that we have there. Mm -hmm. The second one that I wanted to bring forward, sure. and again, uh, I touched on security issues previously when we're talking about digital identity. 
when people are looking at implementing identity management, there's always this build versus buy decision to make. Mm-hmm. Do you build it? Do you buy it? If you step that up a level and say, okay, we're, a, we're an organization who specialize in X. It doesn't matter if it's insurance, selling cars, uh, doing forestry work. It doesn't matter. As that organization, you are unlikely to go out and build the table for your software developers to work on. You're unlikely to go and design the computer at the motherboard level that your software developers will Mm -hmm. use, but we still see many people designing identity control systems in their software. They don't design the table. They don't build the table (laughs) they use. They don't build the laptop that they use to code on, but they are still building things that are available as standard by experts in the field. And one of the challenges we see right now is, sure, you may be able to invest some of your software resource in delivering a small section of identity management for your organization, but it's it's not your core business. It's not where your IP lies. Why not outsource that, focus on where your IP is? And the risk side, and this is where the challenge comes from, the risk side is identity is complex. You know, look at the broad array of standards that are out there. Look at the depth of the standards that exist mm-hmm. around that. They are complex standards to, to work with from an implementation level point of view. So don't build that. <laughs> Buy that in, take that in. You know, at one level, take it in from someone. It doesn't have to be Ubersecure. Take it from somewhere, but pull that in. Focus your effort on your unique and, and pull that in and don't take those risks. Don't expose yourself to those challenges of what's there. So it's on how underestimated the implementation of data identity. Yeah, so it, it, it's easy to underestimate not only mm. the implementation, yeah. but the ongoing maintenance. Mm, yeah. You know, that's time that you could be spending on your core capability. So you have... Two two main challenges. Yeah, yeah. Two two. Th- I mean, we 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 could probably list many, but I, I thought those were kind of two two material key ones to to bring forward. Fragmentation. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Across countries and inside countries as yeah. well, and uh, and build versus buy. Okay. I also recently noticed that you have been writing about a new concept, at least to me, a new concept. Uh, it's called right to X. So I would like to hear from you more about that. Absolutely. Um, so taking a very simple view from my point of view, right to x is an evolution of where Ubersecure has, been, has come from and is going to over the last 10 years. At one level, it's not new at all. At another level, it's groundbreakingly new. So mm-hmm. it, it depends on the perspective that, that you choose to look at it at. Very simply expressed, it's the online ability to assert your right to do something. Mm-hmm. At its highest, simplest abstraction, your ability to say, um, I'm this person and I have these rights to do this. Now, on that simple definition, that exists already. That could be the definition of a, a SAML assertion. That could mm-hmm. be the, the definition of an you know, authorization response. Where this gets more complex and starts to differentiate is around who that, that is being applied to. So traditionally, when you look at identity solutions, they focused very much on the individual. So mm-hmm. today, the majority of identities that we deal with are individual identities. So I'm here talking to you, you're talking to me, we're, we're talking to each other as mm-hmm. individuals. When we interact, when we look at systems that we can log into, we log into this, those systems as us or digital identity versions of us, however you want to phrase that. When you interact on the web at scale, you're interacting as you with some endpoint. Now, if you actually step back and look at any particular transaction and you have identities in that transaction, what's the value of those identities? The value of those identities is actually quite low. 
for an individual. The proof point of that, go and stand in the middle of a desert island where you're the only person. You have the same identity. What's the value? It's, it's zero because there's no one to interact with. The value only comes from the interaction that you have. So you need the interaction to frame the value. The value actually comes from the transaction between those two identities. That's where the value comes from. The identity enables that transaction to happen or enables it to happen securely, lowers risk, whichever viewpoint you want to take on that. So the identity enables the transaction to happen, and that's where the value comes from. Look at that transaction in a bit more detail. When you do anything online, almost anything online, you'll be finding that it's you interacting with an organization. Yeah. So you will buy something from Amazon. You will take something to the post office. You, or, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll book a parcel with the post office to be collected. The transaction is almost always between an individual and an organization. But what's that organization identity? How do you know who you're interacting mm -hmm. with? How does that, where does that come from? Today, and you know, this kind of ties in with the work at, at GMO Global Sign. Today, that identity at one level, that comes from the certificate that you maybe see, maybe notice, mm -hmm. maybe understand what a green bar means. Um, I'm not sure my mum knows what a green bar means, however long it's been there. So is that a valid identity? Don't know. But you can, you can see that it's a secure site. So you say, okay, I will trust British Airways to go and book a flight ticket. And I'm interacting with British Airways. But if you look more generally in the identity world, look at all the platforms that are out there. It focuses on the individual, not on the organization. Right to X becomes much richer when you understand that the identities that Right to X deals with can be either individual or organization seamlessly. So it can be either of those. That becomes even more important when you start looking at delegated rights. So this is not the rights that you inherently have. This is rights that you've been given. And then who's the you? Is you Oscar or is you UbiSecure? And if it's UbiSecure and you don't have an organizational identity, how can you possibly delegate rights to a company? But actually, that's what you do all the time. I'll come back to this example time and time again because it's very concrete, very firm, and it's something that we've been doing for the last 10 years. But think about a tax return. Yeah. You use an, maybe you use an accountant to help you with your tax return, and you might work with Fred, whatever his name is, at the accountants to do that tax return on your behalf. You're actually empowering that company to submit your tax return. Fred's doing the work, but whoever that accountant firm may be, pick anyone you like, it's that company that's submitting the return. And it's that company that provides insurance against anything they do wrong. It's not Fred that will be insured, it's the company. So being able to delegate to a company is actually what happens. That's actually what you're doing. How do you do that online without you having to delegate to Fred? That's what right to x solves. That's the problem that it solves. It allows you to seamlessly work between individual and organizational identity. So that's, that's the starting point. There are many layers of complexity behind that. So where has this come from? Last year, almost exactly a year ago, UbiSecure was accredited as a local operating unit. A local operating unit is uh, an entity that has been audited, vetted, checked to enable them to work at it. Also, they've been checked that they work at a level where they are allowed to provide legal entity identifiers. A legal entity identifier is a global standard. It is a reference number that ties back to a set of information held by an organization called the Glyph. They look after what's called the, the, the golden copy, and it allows you to uniquely identify any organization. 
who has an LEI. Any organization can apply for an LEI. Some organizations have to have LEIs, and it depends upon the domain you work in. Um, How is adoption? How is adoption right now? The, the, the adoption of LEIs is today, in terms of percentage of organizations, reasonably low. So there is something like 1.5 million LEIs issued today. We're seeing incremental regulations driving more and more companies to have to have an LEI. Mm -hmm. um, but we're also seeing more and more use cases where you get additional business benefit from having an LEI. Yep. So we're seeing uh, an exponential increase in that update. And certainly from our perspective as an LOU issuing these LEIs, we're very much seeing an exponential ramp up rate of the issuance of those. So at some point in the future, there may be you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% coverage of organizations with LEIs. That's low today, but growing. That LEI ties back to a highly assured uh, definition of who that organization is. So a vetted address, a vetted director, or someone yeah. who is authorized to request for that company. And that is the basis for the right to X proposition, that record. So we now have, through issuing an LEI, we have a very precise definition of who the organization is, and we have a vetted person who is empowered to request for that organization. Through additional vetting levels, we can understand that they are empowered to represent for that organization. And at that point, that user can now delegate that representation power in any different form to anybody they choose using the Right to X platform. The Right to X platform At one level, it's something we've been doing for a long time. The Finnish Tax Authority have been running it for the last 10 years in a different guise, but doing the same thing, mm -hmm. allowing organizations to delegate to organizations, to people, people to delegate to organizations, and people to delegate to people. So it's a two-by-two two matrix that's built up from that with individuals, organizations on the top and individuals and organizations down the side. You can do any of those four possibilities. That allows that business process to be taken online. Now, in that scenario, we don't have the LEIs behind it because the LEI is a new addition to mm -hmm. what we're doing, and that builds out the value of, of Right2X as a generic platform. In that scenario, the organizational identity is defined by, essentially, the tax office here in, in Finland. So it's, it's a closed definition. It's not a public open definition, and that mm -hmm. limits the usability. But with the new Right2X platform, based on LEIs as the organizational identifier, and that's what's new. So what's new? LEIs is the organizational identifier. Based on that, that gives us the, the benefit to take that onlining of business process, the delegation from individual to organization to organization to individual in a seamless fashion and truly enable those business processes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the example of the, the Finnish tax administration is, is an excellent example that uh, is like a pre-generation of right to x without the LEIs, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And what... What are the types of organization that would benefit the most with right to x today? Yeah, so it, it really is a horizontal application uh, in, in, in that sense. Any organization which has online processes, either for internal or external, ideally spanning those, will get benefit from the, the right to x proposition. We've described the government example with, with tax mm -hmm. and so on, but you, you can see that fitting into healthcare. Mm -hmm. So also um, uh, work and pensions 
type of scenarios where a family member needs to claim disability allowance for another family member who can't get to to do the claim or to process that or is incapacitated somehow Mm -hmm. so they can delegate those rights um think of it kind of like a electronic power of attorney that can cross Mm -hmm. individuals and organizations anyone who's using that or would benefit from that kind of capability can benefit from this we have we have active use cases in energy right now so sharing information to electricity bills or energy usage and consumptions for example finance so again, that, that could be the, the tax example. But also, for example, here in, in Finland, there are loan management applications for funding. And our platform is, empower, is powering that. Mm-hmm. So there's a great finance example there. And then mobile. The mobile example that we have active right now is is really quite interesting. They're using it to model families. So although we talk about organizations at one level of these highly assured legal entities, mm-hmm. an organization actually spans a continuum of assurance and formality if you like so you can have a very informal organization it could be a collection of friends it could be a group it could even be a social group that's still an organization Um, it could be a family unit Mm -hmm. it could be uh, a small cooperative something like a a set of tenants in in Mm -hmm. in in a housing block for example or you know it could be a public company listed on the stock exchange so all of those are organizations the legal entities side of that, the, the limited companies, the, 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 the publicly traded companies, that's where the transactional value lies of the high value transaction. But there is a large amount of benefit for these smaller organizations. And the mobile use case is exactly one of these smaller organizations where we're looking at family units, simply sharing minutes, texts, data allowances okay. between family members. So you're basically giving someone a right to use your mobile package. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah. yeah, it's it's a very broad set of use cases. I guess the other significant use case there that, that we kind of have to touch on is, is KYC, know your customer. Mm-hmm. So at the point that we have an assured organization through LEI, where we have an assured individual as well, now in somewhere like Finland, that's easy. We get them to log on with bank ID. We understand who you are straight away. In somewhere like the UK, that's slightly more complex and we need to go through vetting processes and so on to understand the individual we can take that collection of information and that looks like a KYC record to to some degree. And that can be used to simplify KYC processes. Now, your thoughts immediately turn to banking. Banking have very strict requirements on KYC, um, Mm. more strict requirements on liability and the inability to outsource that liability. So there are some some restrictions on the banking side of that. But on the the next tier down, so uh, SIM card subscription, signing up for any kind of rental service, any of those sorts of areas, this works perfectly and can offload a lot of that KYC processing straight away. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, quite many examples, as you said, and it goes beyond the organization. When you with, with first think about organizations, there's like a tax administration office, big corporation, but then you have a given example such as just families, no cooperatives, uh, mm-hmm. a house, mm-hmm. people living in house. So this definitely unleashes many possibilities. What would you say is the main business value of right to x The business value actually comes from the transaction that this enables. So mm-hmm. as I said earlier, identity itself, of course you can assign a value to identity, but in, mm-hmm. in and of itself, I personally think an identity has a very low value. That identity enables a transaction and that, or an interaction, and that yeah. interaction is where the value comes from. So if we take some real live use cases at the moment to talk about the value of doing this. So let's go back to that tax example. Right now, using public published data from the Finnish government, 
having that system in place is saving them between six and 10 euros per transaction. Hmm. Okay. So that is a large saving on each individual transaction that takes place. Yeah. And if you, if you think about the scale of what those transactions could be, Finland is about five and a half million people. Let's say three and a half million of those have to interact with the tax authority. These are approximate numbers. Sure. Um, so let's say three and a half million interact and they're saving six to 10 euros per transaction. Those people are going to interact probably once a year and in a, an advanced digital economy, many more times a year in that sense. So you're immediately talking about, you know, on the scale of three and a half million people, savings of 50 million, 100 million euros a year through those interactions, maybe even more. You take that to much larger countries, so that the UK, which is 10 times the population, it should be about 10 times the saving on that same basis. Take it to the US, where it's, uh, it's getting on for 75 times the population. Those numbers start to get very large. You, you start to talk about, you know, logically, trillions of dollars of savings worldwide from simplifying those transactions, enabling those transactions. Of course, those aren't real numbers. We need real concrete numbers. And that six to 10 euros is a measured public figure that's there. The, the mobile example, that's been benchmarked at about a million euros a year to the business for having that capability. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of savings and a lot of business value, of course. And, and why, why do you think this hasn't been, um, nobody came up with, with this idea? Or it's because of the, the LEI is something recent? or Sure, yeah. As we touched on a few moments ago, at one level, this isn't new. We've been delegating between individuals and organizations for the last 10 years. What's changed is the ability to have a highly assured organization. Mm -hmm. And when you have that high assurance, then insurance risk goes down. So it makes it more viable in more places. So it's exactly bringing on the LEI, the availability of the LEI to give us a highly assured organization identity mm -hmm. and coupling that in alongside a either strongly authenticated individual so we know it's the same person again, but we don't know anything about the individual. Or a highly assured individual, we know it's you, based on social security number, passport, driving license, whatever techniques might be behind that. That's kind of secondary to this. Bringing in that high assurance of the organization is why this is making a difference right now. So that's, that is the change at this point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've been mentioning, you were mentioning um, Finland as an example, so UK also project a bit how the numbers would grow if you see in US. In which countries today do you think this would work well today in? Sure. So countries that have mm. a digital identity already yeah. will get the best value from this immediately. So if you look at, you know, Nordics, Baltics, where there's a very strong digital identity framework in place, mm. then it's much easier for rapid adoption, for rapid return from those areas. If we look at, take, again, take UK as a... <laughs> I don't want to call it a counterexample, but kind of a, a harder case. You don't have highly assured individual identity as an easy accessible point within the UK. Highly assured individual identity can exist in, in fragmented pools and does exist in fragmented pools. There's a lot of work going on right now through various separate government projects. We've had Verify. Verify's changing right now. We see HMRC, DWP, you know, various government organizations creating their own identity pools at the moment. We've got Government Gateway. So there's all these different bits and pieces. Many of them are not accessible outside of government. So we've got these different pools that could be used. They're inaccessible right now, but there are fragmented small pools, and those fragmented pools would work. But of course, when you're trying to bring on a business process, it has to be consumable by anyone that that process might touch. 
So you can make it work inside your current context. So I might be able to assure your identity for the sake of the transaction that we want, even though you can't present me a, a digital credential, which is high assurance in its own right. A parallel example is the way that most organizations who do email signing with certificates do that. The organization is vetted by the certificate authority, and then the organization is empowered to say, this employee can have one, this employee can have one, this employee can have one, and it's constrained by the domain name of the email, for example. So within that context, that's not a globally strong, highly assured identity, but it's highly assured within that use case because that organization has said, yes, that's someone that I know and, and I will kind of vouch for them on that basis. So you can make it work in those smaller pools, but the great, greater returns, the immediate fit is where there is an existing highly assured individual. The LEI brings the highly assured organization and the two couple together at that point. And is this, uh, is this concept also the, the way we are, we are building in, in UV securities based on standards? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So standards are critically important to what mm -hmm. we do. The standards are critically important to any IAM player. So sure. we, we all have to implement the basic standards. We have to interoperate. If you can't interoperate, there can be no transaction. So value mm -hmm. falls apart at that point. So standards are fundamentally important. We have uh, a number of guys within the team who, while maybe not dedicated to working with standards and tracking standards, it's certainly a key part of what they do. And within our platform, standards are a fundamental part of where we invest engineering resource and development time. A side example, recently, we've launched the CBA. Uh, client-initiated back-channel authentication add-on to the to the specifications. So we're now live with that. We have that deployed at a, a large customer, uh, and we're tracking you know real-time evolution. That's now a, a, an approved standard essentially. So that's out there. It is very important to us. The whole RTX platform sits on top of our standard identity server, so it leverages all those standards and it, it's normal interaction with any any external party. Yeah. So the one who wants to implement this will will be facing open ID connect this kind of standard. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now that we have uh, talked about right to x is a, ex a very interesting concept and sounds like it's going to take off not mm -hmm. only in in the country you mentioned but beyond that. Could you leave us with a tip? that we can use, not beyond organizations, beyond business companies, for the individual, something that we can use to improve, to protect our digital identity. So, ironically, digital identities are there to make things easier. Mm. That, that should be the purpose of a digital identity. <laughs> they make it easier, simpler, quicker, less friction. That makes it quick and simple and easy. That makes it very easy just to click the button as your password manager also fills in your credentials mm. or whatever it might be. The thing that I would say to anybody is stop. Think about where your credentials are being entered. Who are you giving them to? So it may be a whole a bunch of stars appearing in the password box, so it's nice and protected, it's over an SSL link. Who's at the other end of that? What are they doing with that? So just, yes, it makes it quick. Yes, it makes it easy. And it's that quick and easy that causes some of the challenges that we see today with you know phishing attacks and security breaches and so on. Technology is getting really good. Technology is never infallible, but it's getting much harder to breach the technology. It's getting much easier to breach the people right now. So uh, targeting the individuals, phishing attacks, whatever it might be, much easier to get to the individual. So just when you're going to use your digital ID, just take an extra second to think who you're using it with. Mm -hmm. Are you using it with the right person? And does it really look like they're the right person? Because it may look like a PayPal website. Is it the PayPal website? 
Are you in the right place? So just take one extra second okay. before you hit that log on button with your credentials sitting there or, or before you present those credentials. Or the pay button, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a thing. Very good, very good habit, I would say. That mm-hmm. Take one extra second to to check. <laughs> just just double think. Is that is that right? Okay, yeah, it's the right site, it's the right place. This is good. Let's go. I think I think excellent excellent. Excellent takeaway from that. Thanks a lot, uh, Simon, for, for this interview. I would like to, to hear how people can find you personally. Simon Wood, how can we found on the net? Uh, so, yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, uh, all of the contact details. You should be able to get straight off the Ubersecure website. So I think we're quite open on there uh, about where everything is. So, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to hear from any, any feedback from this or any questions people have got. Very happy to take those and, and uh, try and get some answers back to you. Okay. Well, great talking with you, Simon. All Cheers. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Let's talk about digital identity is produced by Ubisecure. Be sure to subscribe and visit ubisecure.com slash podcast to join the conversation and access the show notes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ubisecure or find us on LinkedIn. Until next time.